This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, and we're going to look this morning at verses 18 through 20. And so I hope my voice holds out. I've been battling cold this week and actually feel a lot better, but it's kind of centering around my throat now. And, and so I have allergies this time of year too, so the medicine I take for them makes my mouth kind of dry. So between my throat and my mouth, uh, pray I can make it through today. So, um, but we started last week a new series um, that we called Be Thou Our Vision. And so we're talking about what God has called His church to, to do and to be. And so, as I shared last week, this spring and summer, our staff really took some extra time and just sort of thought through, you know, when we look at what the Bible says about what the church of Jesus Christ is to be about I mean, what do we see there? And is there a way, that, a way that we can say that in sort of a clear, succinct statement? And um, the, the statement that, um, that we came up with and that uh, we, we've shared, been sharing with some folks and I'm sharing with you during these weeks is to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. So the, the first part of that statement is sort of the big picture what. You know, we're to be all about the glory of God, to, to glorify Christ, and we talked about that last week. Today we're going to focus on the second part of that statement. How do we glorify Christ? Well, we do that by making disciples who make disciples. And then next week we're going to look at the third part, which is the where. We do that in our community and around the world. So today we're, we're focusing on making disciples who make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Matthew 28, and let's look this morning at verses 18 through 20, if you'll follow along with me in God's Word. The Bible says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we sung earlier in the service that you would come and move among us today. Move in our hearts we pray that as we look today at the very clear instructions that you have given to us about what is to be our main business between your first coming and your second coming, that you would move within our hearts that the purpose of our lives and the purpose of our church would be joined to your great purpose. We thank you that we get to be a part of what you are doing in the world. This is a great privilege. It's something that we get to do. And we pray that you would show us afresh and anew today what that mission is all about. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, PBS was showing Ken Burns' classic film, The Civil War. 
And that film originally debuted 25 years ago, and so this was sort of the 25th anniversary of that groundbreaking film. And somebody who's interested in history, I've seen that multiple times, and so I did not see it this week. But I did happen to, one night I just flicked over for a second to PBS, and I happened to flick over at the exact moment when the historian Shelby Foote was talking about the death of Stonewall Jackson, who has always been a fascinating figure to me because he was such a committed Christian. Jackson, before the beginning of the war, was a professor at VMI, and he was very, very involved in his church in Lexington. And as part of that, he did something that was really unthinkable at the time, He taught a Sunday school class for black people, and not only taught uh, the class, but as part of that class, taught them to read and write because he wanted them to be able to read the Bible. And in doing that, he took all kinds of criticism, and he even was risking arrest. But, you know, Jackson really, he was such a God-centered person that he didn't care about what others thought he was doing what he he knew, he knew was right and in the film it was talking about the way that he died and his relationship with Jesus was really seen in his last moments on earth of course his arm was shot off at chancellorsville that's not what how he died though he developed pneumonia uh, after that and he died of pneumonia and on the last day of his life Jackson's surgeon and his wife were both there with him. They had both told him that he was going to be with the Lord that day. And it was a Sunday, and Jackson said, I always wanted to die on a Sunday. And then he was quiet for a period of time. And then as he breathed his last breath here on earth, he said in a very clear voice, let us cross the river and rest beneath the shade of the trees. You know, one day there will be rest for the people of God. But until that day, we have work to do. And this passage is all about that assignment that Jesus has given us. The scene that we read about takes place, verse 16 tells us, on a mountain in Galilee. Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to the Father and He takes his disciples to this mountain. We don't know exactly which one. Could have been the mountain where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Could have been one of the mountains that he liked to get away and and pray on and sometimes go and pray with his disciples on. We don't know exactly which one. We know this took place in that beautiful region of Israel called Galilee. And Jesus here is, is speaking about the assignment that we're to carry out between his first coming and his second coming. And the assignment is very, very clear. You know, in the film Band of Brothers, it follows a group of World War II soldiers all the way through boot camp, through D-Day, all the way till the surrender of Germany at the end of the war. It's a fascinating study of leadership. And along the way, this group of soldiers, easy company, they have some really good leaders and they have some really bad leaders. 
they have great leaders like, uh, like uh, Captain Winters. And then they have some really bad leaders like Lieutenant Dyke. And Lieutenant Dyke's problem is that rather than giving uh, clear instructions, he sort of mumbles ambiguous instructions. Um, rather than making clear decisions, Lieutenant Dyke makes no decisions. Our commander has given very clear, unambiguous instructions and made clear decisions about what we are to be about between his first coming and his second coming. And furthermore, our commander has given us both the support and the strategy for carrying them out. First of all, we see here the support for the mission. Jesus has given us the support that we need for this mission. Verses 18 and the beginning of verse 19. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Now, it is remarkable how many studies of the Great Commission ignore verse 18. (laughs) But the Great Commission, and what Jesus says in verses 19 and 20 is incomprehensible without understanding what he says in verse 18. In fact, the first two words in verse 19 are what? Go therefore. Therefore. In other words, in light of what I've just said, you go. So what has Jesus just said in verse 18? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all about authority. Jesus' authority. Bill Kime was a major league umpire for 37 years. He umpired in 18 World Series. He was sort of the godfather of major league umpires. And when Bill Kime was behind the plate, let me tell you, there was no doubt about who was in charge. One time, a pitcher uh, threw the pitch and the batter did not swing. And Bill Kime hesitated before he made the call. And the batter kind of turned around and said in sort of a snooty kind of way, so um, what is it, a ball or a strike? And Bill Kime replied, son, it ain't nothing until I call it. Okay? So when it comes to our mission, Jesus gets to make the call. Okay? It's, It's his authority. It's his decision to make. And so first of all, we see that Jesus has the the authority to decide on our mission. This is not something that we're to try to figure out or negotiate or sort of, you know, pick and choose. Through my three kids, I've learned about the wonders of Pandora Radio. So no more kind of flipping around channels to try to find the song that you want. Through the Pandora app, you can tailor it to your interests, and you can even put down the exact style that you want and the songs that you want, the artists that you like, and so forth. In other words, you, know, you get to tailor it to your interests. You get to pick and choose. The Great Commission is not like Pandora. Okay, This is not something that we pick and choose. We don't get to take the Bible and sort of say, well, you know what? I'm going to accept this part and not that part. I'm going to um, tailor the Bible to sort of suit my interests and my preferences. No. I mean, we're to accept all of God's word because Jesus is our king and he gets to decide. And we don't get to tailor the great commission. The, he just, it, it just is. It's, and it's clear. 
And so Jesus has the authority to decide on our mission. And second, Jesus has the authority to support our mission, to empower our mission. Now I want you to think about this. So you've got these, this group of ordinary guys on this mountain with Jesus. He's about to ascend to the Father. And Jesus tells these, this handful of, of ordinary guys that you're to go forth, you're to go to all the world, every people group on earth, and you are to make disciples. Now, think about the enormity of, of that task. These are, these are just ordinary people, and they've been given this incredible assignment. The world that they're going to is either um, ignorant of Jesus at that point or hostile to the mission of Jesus. But Jesus says, you're to go and you're to make disciples. How did that happen? How, how can it happen with us? I mean, think about our mission field. Uh, we live in America in a culture where a lot of people are hostile to organized religion or they're just so preoccupied and distracted you know, by their, by their work or by their, their, the busyness of their own lives, their family, their recreational pursuits, you know, on and on and on, that they want really nothing to do with, uh, with the church either. And so, I mean, how are we, how are we to carry this out? I mean, um, when you think about the people that we're, you know, we're called to go beyond our nation, Jesus says, go to, go to all nations with the gospel. I mean, we're talking about people that are trapped in you know, false religions like Islam and, and on and on and on. The challenge is enormous. How can we go and make disciples? You know, we, we've said here at First Baptist that, that we want our process for making disciples to, to be to help people to find really three points of connection in their lives. We want people to be connected to Christ and that's helping people to, to move from just the outside to a relationship with Jesus. And then second, help people get connected to community, the community of Christ, the church, so that they find here a loving family of brothers and sisters that they're connected with. And then third, we want people to be connected to compassionate service, because Part of being saved is serving, under, finding what God has called us to do, and, and in compassion, serving others. So how do, we, how do we move people from just you know, a secular person who has no interest whatsoever in Christ, his church, how do they move from that to being a committed follower of Christ, a person that's connected to Christ and connected to Christian community and connected to com compassionate service, and a person who, is, who, who, who themselves are making disciples of others. How in the world does that happen? How did it happen in the first century? How does it happen in the 21st century? It can only happen because Jesus empowers the mission. This is not about us seeking to go out and do this. This is about us and Jesus Christ going out and doing this. Because what does Jesus say in verse 20? He says, 
I am what? I am with you always. In other words, as you go and make disciples, you're not going to go alone. I am going to be with you as you do it. Tim Keller tells about a moment that changed his life, and it was in Sunday school when he was a kid. And that day, his teacher said, imagine, if you will, that the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was the, could be reduced to the thickness of a, a sheet of paper. Um, well, imagine that the distance between the earth and the, and the, if you were to imagine the distance between the earth and the nearest star, that would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. And the width of our galaxy would be a stack of papers that would be 310 miles high. And yet, we know that our galaxy is just a speck of dust in the whole universe. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ holds that universe together by the word of his power. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And then Keller's teacher said, how would you like that kind of person in your life to help you? We have that person in our lives. And he empowers and supports the mission that he has called us to do. And so therefore, we can go forth with joy and with confidence because we don't go alone. Jesus says, I'll be with you as you do this. He empowers the mission. He supports the mission. He supports it. And then we see the strategy. Jesus not only gives us the support for the mission, but he gives us the strategy for carrying out the mission. And we see that in verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, in Greek, the imperative command here is found in verse 19, and it is make disciples. It is an imperative verb. Now, there are three participles that flow from that. Going, which we're going to talk about a lot next week. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Okay, so what we have here is we have one command. Make disciples. And then we have three activities that characterize obedience to that command. And those three activities that characterize obedience to the command to make disciples are going, baptizing, and teaching. Okay, let's talk more about what it means to make disciples. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight has said that the modern church is obsessed with getting decisions. The early church was obsessed with making disciples. Which one has Jesus called us to do? He's called us to make disciples. But you say, well, isn't deciding to follow Jesus, though, a part of becoming a, a disciple? Yes. But what does that mean? What does it really mean to accept Christ? I love what Ray Ortland says uh, about this. He says, you and I are not 
integrated, unified, whole persons. Our hearts are multi-divided. It's like we have a boardroom in every heart. Imagine a big table, <clears throat> a big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, and a whiteboard. A committee sits around the table of your heart. There's the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the religious self, and others. The committee is arguing and debating and voting, constantly agitated and upset. Rarely can they come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. Now, we tell ourselves we're this way because we're so busy and with so many responsibilities, but the truth is that we're just divided, unfocused, hesitant, and unfree. That kind of person can accept Jesus in two ways. One way is to invite him onto the committee. Give him a vote too. But then he becomes just one more complication. The other way to accept Jesus is to say to him, my life isn't working. Please come in and fire my committee. Every last one of them. I hand myself over to you. I am your responsibility now. Please run my whole life for me. You see, accepting Jesus is not just adding Jesus. It is also subtracting the idols. Right? That's discipleship. When you fire the committee, okay? When you fire the, the different voices that are conflicting and you say, Jesus, would you be my king? I give the controls of my life, every aspect of my life, to you. That's what it means to make disciples. And listen, part of being a disciple is caring about other people, seeking to make other disciples. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, It is binding on all Jesus' disciples to make others what they themselves are. Indeed, the force of this command is to make Jesus' disciples responsible for making disciples of others a task characterized by baptism and instruction. I want to talk a little bit about both of those things, baptism and instruction. First of all, Baptism. Verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see that baptism is not something that a group of Christians got together and invented at some point. Okay, this is Jesus that is talking. Jesus says, Obedience to me is going to be characterized by going forth and making disciples. Okay, and what what characterizes the making of disciples is, is, first of all, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One thing that has really weakened the modern church is a de-emphasis on baptism. We have, we have become to associate becoming a Christian with praying a prayer or raising our hand or walking an aisle but in New Testament times, the sign that a person was becoming a Christian, the sign that, they, that Jesus was now their king, and that they were becoming a part of the family of God, was baptism. And that's clear all the way from the day of Pentecost, as Peter is preaching in Acts 2, right on through the writings of the apostles. 
we see in Acts 2 and verse 38, that on the day of Pentecost, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see this over and over again in Paul's writings. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Again, Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I think baptism was important to the early church. Again, Colossians 2, having, he says that Christians are those who, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Who raised him from the dead. See, when a person is baptized and they're lowered beneath the water, what does that symbolize? That's, that's burial, okay? Having been buried with him. And then when they're raised up, that symbolizes resurrection. And so it means that our lives have become, we are committed to a Savior who was crucified, buried, and risen. And it signifies what has happened in our own lives. This is our, baptism shows our story. You know, that we have been given a new life. The old one is buried. We have been raised to walk in newness of life. And so, just like this wedding ring that I'm wearing is a sign of the commitment that I've made within my heart... To my wife, baptism is the sign of the commitment that someone has made in their heart to Christ. And it's the sign that they have come into the, the family of God, which is where we also receive instruction. That's the second part that Jesus is talking about here. It's, it's, it's teaching. He says in verse 20 that we're to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, this teaching really is done in, in three ways, at least. First of all, there's just instruction. His verbal teaching, whether it takes place in a large group like worship through expository preaching or in small groups, Sunday school classes where a group of Christians are sitting around with open Bibles and open hearts or whether it's one-on-one discipleship. And we need all of those things, but... There needs to be lots and lots of instruction. And it's a question of what our priorities are. And, and, and you know, as a church family, if, if people are really going to be made into disciples, then teaching, instruction, you know, large group, small group, one-on-one, I mean, we need all of this for people to be properly grounded in the faith. A part of instruction is, is also doing, serving. You know, a lot of times the truths of the gospel really become deeply rooted in our lives, not only when we're, we're learning, not cognitively, that's, that's certainly an essential part of it, but also when we're doing when we're practicing, when we're, as, we, as we serve the Lord more and more and we're involved in the family of God and seeking to, 
to use who we are and our gifts and experiences and all of that to make a difference as we serve and seek to do good in the lives of other people, then the truth of the gospel becomes more and more real to us. And then there's an aspect of life on life. It takes doing life with other people, spending lots of time with other people. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says something there that has always struck me. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says there, we shared with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. You know, he said, we, we came and we, we shared life with you. We spent time together because, listen, we're living in a culture today where in order both to win people to Christ and to help people grow in Christ, it takes that relationship. It takes, it takes uh, caring about people enough to spend time with them and, to, and building relationships with them and investing our lives in the lives of others. There's nothing more strategic than, than we could do with our life. I had a chance a few weeks ago to sit down with Don Apperson, who served on our, our staff for a period of, of time, um, and who devoted really his life to the thing that we're talking about today. And um, he went home to be with the Lord on Friday. And he knew for a few months that this was going to happen. And he and I were able to sit down together, you know, uh, some weeks ago. And we were able to not only plan out his funeral service, but we were able just to talk about his life. And I'll never forget that conversation because what I saw was a person, first of all, who was ready. Um, to stand before the Lord. You know, Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow will bring forth. Um, we're not even promised tomorrow. One thing that we are promised, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, is that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. Um, and I, I was hearing a man who was at peace and who was ready because he had, he had trusted, trusted that Jesus had paid his sin debt, risen from the dead, defeated death in his place. And, and Don was a man who was resting in the finished work of Christ for him. Not his own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus. But then I realized I was also talking to a man who was at peace because he knew that he had invested his life in the cause that Jesus has given us. Listen, don't come to the end of your life and say, I've wasted it. I could have done so much more. I could have taken the time that God gave me and the, and the talents that God gave me and the treasures that God gave me and I could have leveraged them so much more for the ultimate purpose that we're put here on this earth for. And I've squandered the opportunity. Don't do it. You know, and don't look back. 
Don't look back. You have today and you have the rest of your one short life to make a difference. Invest yourself in what Jesus is invested in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the really clear instructions that you've given us about the reason why we're here in our life mission, our mission as a church. You may call us to many vocations. We may be a teacher. We may be a homemaker. We may be in business or whatever vocational pursuit. But you call every follower of yours, no matter what our vocation is, to be invested in the Great Commission and helping other people to come to know Christ and helping other people to grow in Christ and be formed as disciples, to be a disciple who's making other disciples. We pray that you would make us faithful to do that. And as we just continue to reflect before the Lord right now, you know, it could be that you're here today and you would say, just as we talked about earlier in this message, I want Jesus to be the king of my life. I want to fire the committee. All the different competing voices that are causing the conflicts within my own heart, the lack of focus in my own heart and life. And I want Jesus Christ to be my king. And Jesus, I want to hand over the controls of my life to you. I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I, I, be, I trust my whole life into your hands as my savior and my king. God is working in your heart. Turn to him right now. And turn to him and trust him. Say, Lord, my life is yours. Jesus, I want you to be my king. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to take the definitive steps today that you're calling us to take. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. And if it's the desire of your heart to follow Jesus, then we would love to come alongside. We want to pray with you. Um, and counsel with you if, if God's working on your heart about being a part of this church family as we seek to be a community of brothers and sisters together for the Lord. We would invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's do that right now. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his
name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as His beloved child, His very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are His child. You say, I love Him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.